as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, as we continue our series uh, in this amazing first book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, those of you who keep up with these kind of things, uh, this will be actually the last sermon for a little bit in Genesis. Uh, This summer, we're going to look, turn our attention to a book in the New Testament called Titus, a little letter for us. And then in the fall, we're going to pick up uh, the story of Acts, uh, the New Testament church there. And then next year, we're going to come back. So don't, don't uh, think that we're leaving Genesis. Next year, we'll actually pick up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then after that, Joseph and through the end of Genesis. But uh, what an amazing journey it's been. All of God's word uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Incredible story. Story of a God who is, a God who loves. I uh, don't know if you know him yet or not, but wow. Um, I hope and pray that each one of us here today, because we gather in his name, will experience his reality and, and be spoken to even this morning through his word. I bet you if you uh, looked around, uh, you would uh, see something that looks like this on a lot of cars right now. Uh, seems to be one of the most favorite bumper stickers. I see it everywhere. Uh, it's a coexist. Have you seen that one yet? It's uh, pretty prevalent on many of the vehicles out there. It's pretty interesting how they do it. They take the religious symbols of the world and they put them together kind of equally in one kind of plane. And they're going to say, here is a worldview message. Coexist. May all of us kind of come together and uh, be one and live and play nicely with one another. Now, the question we have to ask is for those of us who are followers of Christ, what does this message mean to us? And, and what should our response be? Because in a sense, coexist has very uh, clear biblical teaching. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul himself will say in the uh, Romans, Romans 12, 9 says this, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So God's word is basically saying this, listen, we live in a really difficult world and if possible, it won't always be, but as much as it depends on you, your call, if you're a follower of Christ, is, well, to live peacefully uh, with all those around you. So you could say, well, there's a sense where there's a coexist message for us. But when the message of coexist means that all things are equal, all things are good, all things are viable, then this message, according to God's word, is really repugnant and heretical. Followers of Christ are called to coexist. That's true. But we coexist not with all things being equal. We are called to coexist with Jesus being supreme over everything. We are called to live our lives uh, with his kingship, with his reality for Christ and his kingdom. That Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. That Jesus has the name above every name. And so Jesus' name, he can't be just one in the line of many. I mean, he has to be elevated to the one who God says is ultimate. So our coexistence needs to be seen through the light of Christ. Today, as we gather around God's word, we're going to find ourselves in a place called Babel. Uh, Babel uh, is a place that if they you look closely at the chariots that are going by and the banner that they have hanging over the city, I bet you it would have this message. Coexist. Coexist. Uh, having many things in common. Uh, really wanting to throw out the supremacy of any one being. 
their motto will be coexist. And this is really cool. God is going to give us the ability to see how does this work? Is this what God is calling us to do? Last week, we ended up Noah's story. Uh, Noah's amazing story of God. Um, If you have not journeyed with us, you can always get those free online. But Noah, at the end of his story, here's another champion hero of God's. And at the end of the story, makes a mess of their life. I mean, really a pretty big mess. And we saw that Noah is typical of God's family. They are dysfunctional. And they need a savior named Jesus. Dysfunctional families have a tendency, well, they always will produce dysfunctional communities. And so today, as we gather around God's word, we're going to see the fruit of what happened with his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that will be actually make up this table of nations. And now we'll find ourselves in uh, a dysfunctional community, a place that Babel, where coexist, was supposed to be the banner over everything. You know, the interesting thing about where we're about ready to read, the story sounds, starts off so good. The story says that these people had, they had one common language. And I love what the Hebrew says. It says it even more clearly. They had the same vocabulary. So basically this people that were gathered in a place called Babel, they started so, so well, they had one language, one focus, one vocabulary, and they built a big city. Uh, They built a big tower. Uh, they built a lot of things, and God says it all went terribly wrong. Why? It's crazy. Because in this story, the way God shows up, he shows up to kind of mess things up. He shows up to say, hey, all that commonness, isn't that important? All that oneness, isn't God about that? He kind of scrambles it all and disperses it all. Why? Well, for all of us, we want to know how does it fit in the Bible story, but how does it fit in your story? How does the gospel of Jesus Christ not only rescue this storyline and make sense of it, but how does the gospel of Jesus Christ point to your life in this story? I think that we open our eyes and we ask the spirit of living God to open our eyes to see ourselves here. We'll see ourselves fairly clearly, even in an ancient story like this. So let's turn to God's word. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at the first nine verses. Um, now, we left off in chapter 10 last week. Let me just say a word about chapter, I'm sorry, we left off last week in chapter 9. Let me just say a word about chapter 10. Chapter 10 is genealogy. Now, genealogy could be Snoozeville in the Bible. Uh, it's Snoozeville in anything. It's kind of like reading the phone book. But we realize that God's got a plan. And he tells us genealogy for a reason. And he's going to tell us the genealogy of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ten. So Ten is like a table of nations. And it's going to get us right up to chapter 11 of all this, these nations growing. And we'll get up to the story right now. So let's read God's word. And remember, it's a, it's a holy word. It's for each one of us. And by God's design, you're here. This isn't a story that God just wants you to hear. This is a story that is living that God wants to call you into and show you who he is, and show you who you are through this story. So let's read. I'll read aloud. You can read along with me silently. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, and I want you to hear this, that they never actually talked to God. And I want you to hear how much they focused on themselves and no one else. 
And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. The Hebrew here is very emphatic that God had a... Let me go see this little thing here. Oh, it's a cute little teeny tower. The Lord had to come down and see this teeny city and this teeny tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, uh, go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Father, This story seems really kind of confusing. It seems confusing at the first glance. I mean, these people had a lot in common, and they decided to build a city, and they decided to build a tower. They decided to build a name for themselves, and you seem to get pretty upset with that. We thought you were a God that wanted to bring unity and clarity, and yet it seems like that you brought confusion. It seems like you scattered Are you a God who gathers or are you a God who scatters? So God, we clearly need to have you come be teacher because I know that your word has more than what might meet the eye here. So God, would you give us ears, ears to hear not my voice, but Jesus's. God, would you give us minds, minds that can understand your word. And God, would you graciously give us hearts of faith, hearts that believe, hearts that beat for you, hearts that will take this story and embrace this story as true and embrace the truths that you have for us. And God, would you clearly be with us in such a powerful way through the preaching of your word that you would empower our feet, that we would walk out of here in love with you and obedience to you, and we would walk out of here with purpose for you to build a city, a home for your glory, a city of God. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away. The things that I say that are true and contain the good news of Jesus, would you use those things to bring you glory? Because wow, do you deserve it. And also bring us challenge and joy. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you want to follow along, there's an outline there for you in your bulletin uh, for this. And we're going to see what went so wrong here at Babel. Why is this such a dysfunctional community? And the first thing we see is this. There is a rejection of God's supremacy. That these people were rejecting God as being supreme. They were basically saying this. We don't need God to tell us how things are supposed to be. We don't need God to do that. And we want to coexist without him ruling over us. These are the people who say, we just want to be. We don't want God to meddle with us in our lives. 
They want to live it the way we see fit. Well, again, as you'll think of Babel, that's what they are. There's people living under this banner of coexist. Coexist without God. Interesting, I love, again, what the Hebrew says. They had one language, one vocabulary. Basically, everybody understood themselves. And I think about that. For the most part, this country does still speak English, I think. And it's uh, true. But if you grab a man from Birmingham, Alabama, you grab a woman from Bronx, New York, uh, you grab somebody from Boston, Massachusetts, and maybe somebody from Berkeley, California, and you put them together and you say, communicate. I would imagine it sound a little bit like Babel. I would imagine they're thinking, what in the world did you just say? How did you say that? I have people on my very staff that have months of the year in the calendar. I do not recognize the month of July, you know? Oh, July. Okay, I got you. Well, they had one language and uh, they were able to communicate with one another. How about you parents? Is it not true that our kids seem to have another language? Maybe just the speed of the language. It's how they can talk so quickly sometimes. But here you start off with the story is everybody's kind of unified. What they said, they understood. They not only had one language, they had one vocabulary. And they had a goal of coexisting. Coexisting means this. Everything is equal. Everything is common. I, I, I shudder to think about how our children are growing up with this worldview being so deeply pressed upon them. Talk to your kids or your grandkids uh, talk to young people right now. The, pre- the prevalent, uh, prevalent worldview is coexist. That all things basically are equal. Here's what it says. Don't judge. Who are you to judge? Don't elevate. I mean, don't elevate. If your Christianity is good for you, but don't elevate it above everything else. I mean, come on, that, that's wrong. I mean, keep them all on that same plane. Don't distinguish. Distinguishing is bad. Don't differentiate. If you do, you might be bigoted. If you do, you got some kind of issue. Uh, this is one of our greatest cultural virtues. It really is right now. It's that everything should be the same. Everything should be common. We should all coexist. The reality is, All things are not equal. All things are not true. All things are not right. Common is not supreme. Common is not the priority. But we live in a world where common equality should trump everything. That somehow being common has the last word. But scripturally, this is not true. It's God and his word. It's God and his word that are true and supreme. God's truth. God has, has called us to himself and he's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And here's what he wants us to do. He wants to live our lives radically in love with those who are different. He wants us to appreciate the fact that they too are made in God's image. He wants to love, for us to love them and love them deeply and love them well. But he wants us to be radically different. And radically different in the way that the love of Christ and the light of Christ and the reality of Christ shines into our, into, through our lives, into their lives. That, that we're living for a higher priority. We're living for a king that is real. And we're living for a kingdom that is already here. And those values are our values. And his name is our name. And there's a supremacy that comes to God that we will kneel to. And we are a people called to himself that are live our lives with the supremacy of God in everything that we do. And the reality of what's happening in Babel says, we want to just get rid of that supremacy. We don't want God meddling with our lives. We don't want him to tell us what we need to do. We don't want God to tell us what our priorities are. We want to live lives ourselves. 
Anytime man's goal is to coexist apart from the reality of Jesus Christ, it'll always lead to chaos. Because no matter what man can do, it'll only just gunk it up. And that's what happened in Babel. God never wanted to coexist with all things being equal. He is supreme over all things. The question is this, is he supreme in your life? I mean, is he, is he supreme in your pursuits? Is he supreme in your identity? I mean, that, that's, that's where God is. He, he doesn't want to be in a list with others. He is the only one, the eternal one, the number one. Babel wanted to throw him off and lose his supremacy. Second thing is this, the rejection of God's security. They wanted to build a city. They wanted to build a city for themselves. They wanted to do it their own way. You see, in the ancient Near East, a city meant everything to them. A city meant that they were a place that was secure. A city with walls that kept the bad things out and it kept the good things in. A city was a place of identity. It was a place of commerce. And so what they basically were doing was rejecting God, saying, God, we don't want you to be our security. We don't want to be, you're the one who will protect us. We want to protect ourselves. We want to build a city that will secure our things. What are you building? What is your security? You know, we long for security, don't we? We just long the fact that, that what we invest in is going to be secure. The security that our kids will be safe. The security that our marriages will last. I mean, we, we crave it. We long for it. I mean, God, can you keep the market going? Is it going to be steady? I got to have that retirement. I want that security. Make sure my house doesn't turn upside down. We long for security. And the question is, where are we going to try to find it? What are you building to find your security? Is it anything apart from your relationship with Christ? Here's the reality is that God says, I want to be your security. My arms aren't too short. I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. I I want to be your hope. Don't worry about this world is fading away. Don't worry about those things that are going to perish. I know it. And, And listen, our father's a good father. He loves you. Our father's a good father. He's going to provide for you. Our father's a good father. He's not going to leave you out in the cold. And sometimes he's going to send you in a situation saying, really, God, are you still there? He's always there. He's Emmanuel. Where are you looking for your security? Because what happened in Babel was, is they saying, God, we do not want you to be our security. We do not want to pursue a city not built with hands. We do not want to pursue what you have for us. We want to pursue our own stuff. You know, we're, we're so broken and we try to find security in the darndest places. Sitting in marriage counseling, I'm realizing of how much security I'm trying to find in my own wife. That I just want, I just want to find my identity there. I want to find my security there. I, just, I want her to be my God in so many ways. And then to be realized that the only way that we can find true security is in God and God alone. What are you resting in? See, the reality is that this, this, this city is they rejected God as their security. And then thirdly, they rejected God's grace. How'd they reject God's grace? They built a tower. Here's what they did when they built a tower. They said, we want to be the ones who make our own way to heaven. I mean, this building a tower, it may seem insignificant that they had built a tower to reach the heavens, but you know what they were doing? They were rejecting God's grace. I mean, God's word has said to us, and we've read this, that God is going to provide a Messiah. God is going to provide one to come through the seed of the woman who will make all things new and will make all things right. When they were building this tower, they basically said, forget God's plan, forget God's grace. We want to do it our way. 
And I tell you, in our flesh, that's who we are. We want to negotiate with God. We want God on our terms. We want God. Is it not true that in our flesh, we want God to even serve us and serve our needs? I mean, what an amazing offense this was to God. I mean, this was rejecting God saying, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. This is rejecting God saying that that you have to come and build the bridge to us. We'll say, no, 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 God, we'll build our bridge to you. We'll negotiate with you how these terms are. And I love the Hebrew here. It's like God looks down at this little puny tower. Oh, look at that little tower you built. Isn't that cute? Look at that, you know? Look at how high you guys can build those little tinker toys things. It's not about that. I can just even see him not only make fun of how puny it is, but just lament that in our flesh, we want it our way. Let me make it practical for you. Religion will never get you closer to God. You can't, you can't build a tower to get to him, ever. And the sad thing is, is, is many of us grew up in traditions would say, if you want to be right with God, you've got to go through this class or take this sacrament or, or do these things. And a lot of those things are good. But none of those things will ever build a stairway to heaven. They're repugnant to God. Here's the reality of the God who is. He loves you and wants a relationship with you, but it's all on his terms. All on his terms. And here are his terms. It's all by grace. You deserve none of it. You get all of it. You deserve none of it. But you can't build it. He's built it already. And here he says, it's now now how you embrace it by his grace is through faith. And he's so gracious, he says, I'll even give that to you. I'm going to remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of faith so you can believe. You see, what they were doing when they were building a tower was so repugnant to God because they were rejecting the grace of God. And there's no relationship with God apart solely by his grace through faith in Christ alone. That's it. There's no other hope. How is it with you? This is so ultimate. Are you trying to build your own stairway to heaven? Even through religion, even through your works, Anytime our works are involved, it gets in the way. What tower are you trying to build to heaven? Or are you just embracing the son who's come to rescue us? Okay, not only that, it's the rejection of God is our identity. They were saying this, let's build a name for ourselves. We don't need God to tell us who we are. I mean, this amazing, dysfunctional community was basically saying this. We want to earn a name. We want everybody else to see our big city and our amazing tower and say, man, those people, man, they've earned their name. But biblically, we have to know this. Listen, this is very important. Names are not earned in the Bible. Names are given. God gave Adam his name. Adam gives Eve his name. And then parents give names to their children. And sometimes when there's a name that's so clear, God will say, make sure that you name this one Jesus because you don't have the authority over him, Joseph and Mary, because he'll save his people from their sins. You see, this amazing truth of who this God is and what this gospel means is this, is that God does not tell you, create you and say, now go make a name for yourself. Go make something of your life. Here's the reality is, is he says, I've made you in my image and you have my name all over you. And if you're mine, my son has come to rescue you. He shed his blood to to be cleansing your sins and to robe you in his righteousness. Here's the reality, the beauty of Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you the name that is above every name. I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to let you wear it 
I'm going to wake up in that reality and live in that reality and, and go to sleep and one day die in the reality that you and I, by God's grace alone, have his name on us. And here's the beautiful thing about our lives. We do not have to live our lives trying to earn something. That's so hard. Did you ever do enough? God says, live your life out of the response of what I've already given you, your name. You don't have to earn it. You got it. You're mine. I'm never going to change my mind about you. Listen, you know how, if we get this, you know how empowering this is? That we actually tomorrow can get up knowing that we're loved and knowing that we're named and not have to go earn it ourselves. That's the beauty of the grace of God in Christianity. And the reality in our flesh, we pursue so hard to find our identity in what we do. God says, no, no, no. Find your identity in whose you are. So what was happening in Babel? They said, let us build a city for ourselves. Let us build a tower for ourselves. Let us build a name for ourselves. And it was all so repugnant to God. Because he says, I want to be your name. I want to be your security. I want to be your identity. I want to be your all. What name are you trying to build for yourself? What's your identity? Is it in what you do? Or is it whose you are? Then there's this rejection of God's authority. The rejection of God's authority that God can tell us what to do. All right. What was God's plan from the beginning, what was it, what is it, and what it will always be. God's plan from the beginning, ready for this, is for you and me to be on mission. It's for you and me to fill the whole earth with his glory. All right? In Genesis 9-1, he says words that are very similar words. Same words he said, said to Adam. Same words he says to Noah. Same words he says to us. He says this. You are to multiply. You are to increase. And you are to fill the whole earth with my glory. That says it right in Genesis 9-1. So God, it's amazing what God has done. He created the whole earth to be filled with his glory. And the way the Bible story goes, it's amazing. He makes one place, this Garden of Eden, a place that's inhabitable by God and man, a place where man and God can dwell together in harmony. And he calls us to fill the whole earth like the garden now. And even through sin and the fall, he allows us to do that through the gospel. So what's the big deal that they decided to see? Hey, that's a cool plane. Maybe we should stop here. Maybe we should stop. Let's put down some roots. And let's just stop this mission of God, this nonsense that he wants us to fill the whole earth with his glory. Forget that. That's a long worry. Let's do our own deal. Let's reject him and his authority. Let's build here. And what they were saying to God is, you got no authority over us. You might have told us to go, but we're staying. What does this mean to you and me? I got to tell you, there's, there's times that I have so been passionate about the church filling the whole earth with God's glory that I've missed a little bit of the reality of he's calling you and me to do it right here. At the Gospel Coalition, there was a guy who, who got up and spoke who's now a missionary uh, in the Middle East, uh, and he's doing great work. And he said, after 
After 9-11, he said, I cannot stay here because the war on terrorism will not be won with guns and bombs. The only way we're going to win the war on terrorism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on the 12th of, of, of September, he went and he nailed a for sale sign on his house and in the front yard. And, and he sold his house and he left everything to go and fulfill the mission. And I don't know about you, but those are stories that say, Yahoo, go for it. That's phenomenal. And I think that some of you, God might do that. He might call you and say, you know what? I have called you to go for my glory to the outermost parts of the world. Because that is ultimately what God is calling all of us to be involved in. But I've come to the realization that that means that you and I are to live on mission for God today right here. And can I tell you, I think we might have it harder than those who put for sale signs and go live on a mission field. I think we might have it harder. I mean, there's no way that once you're over there on the mission field, you don't know that you're on mission. But you living right here, right here in Central Florida, with the American dream, the American dream waving over you every day, you right here living on mission for the glory of God, how hard is that? You realizing that there's something more important than, than you and your home and your security and your safety, that God wants you to live right now with his glory and his supremacy in your life now and the way you raise your kids, the way you interact with your neighbor and the way you get up and do your job tomorrow. All for the glory of God, all for the reality that you and I are called on mission for God. We all are. You see, their problem was they just wanted to stop. They wanted to say, God, you have no authority in my life to tell me what to do. He's God. We know that, right? And his son came and rescued us to put us back where we need to be in right relationship with the father on mission for him. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, you and I are his ambassador for his glory to tell his story. What they want to do is just reject God's authority in their life. The question I have for you is this. Are you building the city of God on earth? Are you building the city of God? of man. Live your life on mission right where you are. Lastly, the gospel restoration of all things. Again, we, this could be a, a, a entire sermon. I'm going to sum up very quickly, but it's so amazingly, we got to get this. It's amazing because Jesus, God's son came and he said this, I'm going to make all things new and I'm going to make all things right. And you got this story in Genesis 11 that God's going to bring confusion and language and scatter everybody. Why? Because you want to know what? He wants them on mission. You got to go. You got to fill the whole earth with his glory. I'm not going to give up on my plan. And then you get to the reality of what happens in the book of Acts. And it's incredible. Jesus is alive and he's resurrected and he's now been seen by his people. And he says, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses. I want you to go. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth and tell my story. And then in Acts 2, we get this thing called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on believers. And you got to know what Pentecost is. I mean, I got goosebumps telling you this. It's an incredible story. It's the reverse of Babel. Because there again, you have the table of nations and the table of nations that were sent out and dispersed are actually going to be gathered by Jesus, gathered under his authority, gathered under his good news. And those who spoke in different tongues and different languages, they all understood each other. I mean, it's so crazy what was happening. It's like, these guys are drunk. Look at the time. They're already drunk. It wasn't that they were drunk. The Holy Spirit, the gospel was there. The good news of Christ was there. And although they spoke in different tongues, they understood each other and God was bringing all things together. Here's what he's saying. Yeah, you're going to coexist. 
The only way you're going to coexist is under my authority for my Father's glory. And then you get to the book of Revelation at the end of the story. Incredible. You get to the end of the story, and what do we find worshiping God? You find every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people are there. And they're all unified through a lamb that was slain that now lives and gives them their identity and their story and their security. Here's the whole point. God apparently loves variety. He apparently loves every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's chosen those from each one. They still maintain their identity. They still maintain their some kind of ethnic difference. And yet in Christ Jesus, they're one. Coexist coexisting will be reality someday from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and every people. And we should long for that coexisting. You see that, you see that bumper sticker and you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because the only way we'll ever coexist is when Jesus is reigning as Lord and King. And the reality that he is our supremacy, that he is our security, that he is our identity, the reality that he is our authority, and we live our lives for his glory city of God. It's come. May it come quickly in its fullness. But may we be those who live not for the city of man, but for the city of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Those who have the tendency to babble, those who have a tendency to say, let's just coexist on our own terms. Let us build our own tower to you. Let's negotiate with you on how you should relate to us. Father, we are so arrogant, we are so broken, and we are so prone to wander. How in the world can you love any of us? But you do. And you love us so much that you would send your son Jesus to come and to make all things new. God, I love the fact that you're just resolute on your plan. Your plan from the beginning was that you wanted this earth filled with your glory and you're going to accomplish that. And your, your plan was that you wanted to use your people to build your city and you're going to accomplish that. And I thank you that it depends on your grace, not on our works, because all we're going to do is mess it up apart from the good news of the gospel. Father, I pray for us. Would you please come Would you help us build the city of God for your glory? In Christ's name we pray, amen.